Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. When I was in high school, I worked at this restaurant called Ponderosa Steakhouse. First service cheered. I'm like, none of y'all have ever eaten at the place, if you're excited about it. Um, <laughs> Ponderosa is like a weird buffet where you can order really low-quality steaks. And so I was, <laughs> I was waiting tables there, and I walked up to this table, and this guy looks at me, and he says, God gave me a dream about where you should go to Bible college which in hindsight is a lot to dump on someone when they ask, what would you like to drink? <laughs> so he gives me his business card, which just looked like what he had done was typed in ministry job titles, and rather than picking one, just copy and pasted the whole list of possible options. I mean, it started with doctor, it ended with PhD, but he had everything on it. Visionary, prophet, shepherd, priest, deacon, pastor, elder, shepherd, missionary, evangelist, I mean, he called himself everything but a spirit guide on this list. And my favorite thing that he had was that he called himself an apostle, which is weird because most people don't use that term anymore. It's not ridiculous. You know, the apostle is just one who is sent, right? So a missionary is technically an apostle. But the classification of it is this. You always use the lowercase a. Okay? There are 13 people that have held the capital A office of apostle. Those are the 12 disciples with Jesus and Paul. He used the capital A. And so, like, are you one of them? Like, you just, you look real good for your age, man. Like, I just, what kind of face cream are you using? Because uh, that's impressive. But all he told me when he gave me this business card that looked like job titles threw up all over it is that he didn't know the first thing about any of the things that he was claiming to be. See, there's a lot of misunderstanding that surrounds spiritual things, especially when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit and even more so when it comes to the gifts that he brings. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to camp out in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning as we look at the different ways that the gift, the, the different gifts and ways in which the Spirit uh, works in people's lives. See, what we're called to be is not believers in Jesus, but followers of Jesus, to live our lives, to pursue him, to glorify him with who we are. And everything that Jesus calls us to be, we have absolutely no capacity or capability to be on our own. What I mean by that is that you and I do not possess the skills, qualities, and abilities to be what Jesus desires for us to be, which is a faithful follower of him in and of ourselves. And so what Jesus does is he sends to us a counselor, a guide, a helper to work in us and create in us what we could not do in and of ourselves. And every person who surrenders their life to Jesus, who belongs to Jesus, who gives themselves over to the lordship of Jesus to seek and follow him, receives this spirit, which helps us become genuine and sincere followers of Jesus. And every person who receives the spirit of Jesus gets gifts from that spirit. Now, before we get into 1 Corinthians 12, I want to set the stage for you a little bit. 
If you ever wondered, like, what would God say if he wrote a biblical letter like one of the epistles to the church in America, read First and Second Corinthians. The city of Corinth is the first century's version of America. It is a replica of our culture and economy. It was market-based. Everything was built around what you could do and self-made people. It was a melting pot of different cultures. And they had some real big struggles and problems. One of the things that was happening in the church in Corinth is you had these people who had received the Holy Spirit, received gifts of the Holy Spirit, and what they were doing is valuing and judging each other based on how impressive their spiritual gift was. So they're taking these gifts given by the Spirit of God for the glory of God and the good of the people of God, and they were using them for personal glorification because they were a culture that was obsessed with power and status. And that's a mirror that can reflect a little too clearly. If we are not careful, that is an easy trap for us to fall into. To take what is all about God and to make it about us. This is my gift. This is what I can do. This is the cool thing that I have. And so what I want to challenge us to do is something a little weird and that is, let's learn from history rather than repeat it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells us that we are not to be ignorant, to be uninformed about spiritual things because ignorance creates opportunity for deception. When you do not know, you are very easy to be misled. And so it's important for us to understand these spiritual things, especially the things that revolve around the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the foundation of that is our understanding how we came to Jesus in the first place. In a culture and world of achievement and accomplishment, what Paul says is that you didn't come to Jesus because you were better, smarter, faster, cooler, more righteous, or more holy than anybody else. That your response to Jesus, that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be very clear about that because it's easy to turn it into a ridiculous statement. That does not mean that it is magically impossible to utter the phrase, Jesus is Lord, unless you are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. All right? Like, you can get Siri to say it on your phone. It doesn't mean your phone's being powered by the Holy Spirit. The point is not, can you make an empty declaration? The point is, you cannot have the genuine devotion. It is not possible to surrender your life to Jesus. Not possible to make him Lord and Savior. Not possible to submit to the service of him and to seek to live your life for him without the gift of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that our response to Jesus... Our surrender to him is not an achievement. It's not a decision that we make. It's not something that we accomplish by our own wisdom, intellect, study, or strength. It is a gift from the Spirit of God. And to understand that, it's really a radical reorientation of our perspective. 
Because what that means is that Jesus gives us unmerited, undeserved grace as a gift that we can receive only through the gift that is the Holy Spirit. That it's not about us, not something that we deserve, not something that we earned, but that it was given to us by God. Your identity is a gift. Your adoption as a child of God is a gift. Your belonging to Jesus is a gift given by the Spirit of God. Who you are and who you belong to is not of yourself, your decision, your work. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we understand the implication of this, it becomes perhaps the most comforting truth in existence. You didn't earn it. You didn't just make the right call. It wasn't your decision, your righteousness, your good works that led you to receive the salvation of Jesus. But that the life that you have was given to you as a gift by him. Now, there's a part of us when we hear that that kind of pushes back. Hold on now. No, I made a decision. I made a choice. I made the call. This has got my hands on it. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why we take comfort in the idea that our hands have been placed on our salvation. Like, anybody ever made a bad choice? Right? It's church. You're allowed to be honest, okay? <laughs> made a wrong decision, a mistake, something that at the moment you're like, this is great. Then you look back and you're like, that was so dumb. Anybody ever made a decision like that? Fallen short, missed your mark, done something that you regretted and you wish you could go back and undo? I'll tell you, when I look back at my life, there's more things that fit into that category than don't. Right? I'm real dumb. Why would eternity, salvation, and hope be more comforting if it has our hands, our flaws, our problematic decision-making, and our history of failing and falling short attached to it? Does that really make you feel better? Feel more like, oh, I'm good because <laughs> I touched it? No, that, that's the thing that's most likely to make it not work. Right? But what this is saying is, you didn't earn your salvation. You didn't obtain your salvation. You didn't deserve your salvation. It was completely and utterly a gift of the Spirit of God who, while we fail, He doesn't fail. While we fall short, He doesn't fall short. While we make mistakes, He don't make mistakes. And so the salvation we have is of Him. And that is the confidence that we have, the assurance we have, because if you did not perform to obtain your salvation, you don't have to be afraid that poor performance might cost you that salvation. You see what I'm saying? That the gift of the Holy Spirit is not that it frees us of responsibility to obey and follow and honor Jesus in our lives. Is that it means that we're not crucial, our performance. If you fail, man, if you fall short, if you struggle through most of your life, it doesn't mean that you cannot have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that gift is not based on your performance. It's not based on you. What it means is the life that you have in Jesus, if you belong to him, was given to you by him. And let me tell you this. Jesus didn't give you the gift of life just so that he could change his mind later and take it back. 
There is no greater assurance, no greater confidence, no greater hope in this world than to understand the very nature of how we came to Jesus was in every way the work of God. Because he doesn't fail. And we do. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gives everyone gifts. Now, like my friend the Ponderosa prophet, we tend to misunderstand how those gifts work. Because our primary perspective is that these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are by nature miraculous. They're big, flashy, exciting things like big neon lights, right? The, the spiritual gifts of the guys like walks up to the water and goes, hey, will you just split and it just parts like the Red Sea? Like that's like, that's what we're thinking of. These big, exciting, crazy gifts that everybody looks at and goes, that was miraculous. But they're not. It's not that there's no element of miraculous to the spiritual gifts. It's that they're not primarily miraculous gifts. Because there's one gift that is universally given to all who belong to Jesus. One gift that is foundational to all who follow and believe in him. And that is the gift of grace. One of the Holy Spirit's gifts is the ability to receive the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord. No one can surrender to Jesus except through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the only gift the Holy Spirit gives everyone. But it is not the only gift that, G that the Holy Spirit gives anyone. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gives us gifts. But when we make those gifts about ourselves, use them to brag about ourselves, take pride in our gifts, identify ourselves by our gifts, or evaluate ourselves, comparing ourselves to other people's gifts, we miss the purpose of those gifts. Verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And, a variety, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. In a culture of achievement and performance, our default is to define ourselves by what we do and what we're capable of. We see ourselves through the lens of our own achievement, through our own effort, through our own work. Let's often, often we talk to somebody and say, hey, who are you? The first thing you say is your name and then what you do. Because intrinsic in our minds as to who we are is the work or the performance that we've accomplished in our lives. We connect the two things together almost inseparably. Because everything in our culture says who you are is based on what you do. Or how well you've lived or how well you've performed. But what this says is the spiritual things of God, the gifts, the service, the activities, they are given by God and empowered by God. It means they didn't come from you. It means they're not about you. God gave us gifts, not so that we could indulge ourselves, not so we could build ourselves up, not so that we could boast in ourselves, but so that we could use those gifts for his glory. God gives so that we can give. And his purpose and intention for the gifts is that we would use them for the common good. How do you know that? Well, I read the next verse. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Okay, two words that you need to understand there. The first is each. Each means everybody on an individual level. Everybody gets a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the next word is common. Common means majorative, normal, above average most. If you are not using your gift, it is not for the common good, it is for a personal good. If you are selective with when, where, and how frequently you use your gift and you only use it in front of certain people who you feel comfortable around, it is not for the common good, it is for an exclusive good. The only time a gift is common is beneficial for the common is when you use it regularly, consistently, and frequently. What if I don't have a gift? If you have Jesus, you have a gift. Right? Here's the key to understanding whether or not you have a gift from the Holy Spirit. Do you love Jesus? Do you have a pulse? Okay. If you check yes on both of those boxes, <laughs> thank you for checking someone's pulse. You are my favorite right now. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to need a second. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> The spiritual gifts belong to all who follow Jesus. You cannot have Jesus and not have spiritual gifts. And here's why this is so important. Some of you are here and you've been through some stuff. You've seen some things. You've done some things and you are still struggling to let go of the lie that the devil tells you that you don't matter because of it. That you can't be used by God because of it. That your worth is diminished because of your biography. That your past has made you somehow lesser, less worthy, less useful. That you have failed, you have fallen short, and God's not going to do a whole lot with you anymore. And some of you struggle with that. Some of you believe that wholeheartedly. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What the Bible says is that each who receives the Spirit receives a gift from the Spirit. And what that means is that in the kingdom of God, you have value. In the kingdom of God, you have a purpose. In the kingdom of God, you are not unusable, but you are called for a purpose because God desires to use you for the good of others. You have a role to play. And let me just tell you this right now, church. We need you to play it. Right? This has been the craziest journey. Last year, beginning of last year, we said, hey, I got an idea. Let's be debt-free in 23. It's cool because it rhymes. It's also ridiculous because it doesn't make sense to do. Right? Because so let me just give you this understanding so you're aware of it. Like our normal successful year in our operation is that our giving allowed us to meet our operational costs, fix a couple of things that broke, and maybe if we were extra, if we were doing extra well, improve a couple of things before they break. Like that was the crazy year of like, <laughs> we bought a computer before the computer exploded. Yay. Again, that was where we lived. And so the idea that like, hey, let's do that, which is the best we've really ever done before, and then also pay off $1.2 million in debt without ever passing offering plates or really talking about money at all does not make any sense. Okay? It just, I liked that it rhymed, and I was like, let's go for it. Let's just see what God does. And there is no earthly way that anything should have happened with that. 
And then like four days before the end of the year, through the people of God, God provided. We paid off the debt and we were debt free in 23. And you can always find the finance people in the room because they clap the first and they clap the loudest when you say that, right? They're like, debt free, did my team just win the Super Bowl? That's where they go. And it's awesome. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And so we thought, like, okay, we don't have a, a pressing need right now, but we're going to be thinking to the future. We're going to be looking ahead. So we're going to start looking at how to meet needs before the needs show up. And we thought we were doing really good with that. And then God's like, <laughs> oh, let me show you something. And so what's happened, right, when we started this thing, empty chairs were the normal part of our service. Now they are becoming an endangered species. All right? Which is, yeah, okay, it's a great problem. And so what you're going to hear from us more and more is like, hey, we need you to scoot in, right? Because if you just sit in the end, we can't find chairs. There's only so many chairs we can add to the back before the fire marshal comes and gets really upset with us. So we need you to kind of scoot in. So take that person who you've never seen before a day in your life who just happened to sit in the row next to you. That's now your best friend from high school who you haven't seen in 20 years. Get real close, catch up, get to know them because we need the space. Like that's where we're living now. Right? And it's just like God decided that he was just going to flex just a little. And so we're sitting here going like, okay, our family ministry is at capacity, stretching it. Our parking lot, stretching capacity. We had, we're going to add like 25 spaces here because to make more room so you can find a place to park when you come in. That'll be exciting. Our sports ministry, stretching capacity. Our student ministry went from being like an average of 50 kids to being an average of 100 kids every week. Like it's blowing up. And it's, it, yeah, it's wonderful. And it's so exciting and to see God work, it's so humbling because we have a desire to faithfully minister to and care for the people that God brings to us. And he's bringing growth. Like we're having very real conversations about the need to go to three services on a permanent basis so that there has places where you can sit. Because I figure you're probably going to like that, so maybe we'll make a, figure out a way to make it happen. And it's such an incredible blessing, and it's so incredibly exciting, and it's also stressful and challenging. Because when a church grows, so do its needs. We need people to serve in the family ministry who can teach kids. Or, hey, I don't like to teach kids. Well, you can be in the room with kids and help herd the cats so that they can learn about Jesus. Like, if that's something like, man, I don't know if that's my passion, but I would do it. Carolyn and Brett Cloutier, there's the business cards on the front desk. Grab those. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You can leave right now. Go grab one and come back. I will wait for you. <laughs> okay? Like, that's the need. We need people to work with kids. We need people to love on kids, to teach kids about Jesus, to be in the class so the kids can have a safe and an enjoyable environment to learn about Jesus. We need people helping with student ministry because, well, that doubled. Uh, so that's a cool. We need people to help. We need to build a parking lot team so that you can find parking spots because that probably helps when you come in. Be like, I know where to park now. This is great. We need to build a team for that. We need ushers who can tap people on the shoulder. Be like, remember when he told you to scoot in? Well, you didn't do it, so now I'm here to ask you to scoot your butt. Um, <laughs> he said butt in church. They have a jar for me in the back. That's how we're raising the funds to do all this. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> we need new group leaders to help provide connection, growth, and engagement outside of Sunday morning. And yet here you are. God has given you a gift. God has given you a gift for the purpose of that gift being used for the common good. 
and I don't know of a time, maybe this is the first time in history where we need you more than we ever have before. And there's some of you here, and you're hearing me talk, and you're going, that's awesome. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray that God sends you the right people to fit the right positions to meet those needs, because I know you're not talking to me. <laughs> Guess what? I'm talking to you. <laughs> right? And if the louder that voice is playing in your head, no, nah, he's not talking to me. The louder I need you to hear this, he's saying, yeah, I'm absolutely talking to you. Right? Absolutely. Every person who believes and follows Jesus has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit to be used for the good of the community. If you aren't using your gift, what benefit is it to anyone? We are not called to be gift hoarders. We are not called to be gift consumers. We are called to be gift distributors. God gave you a gift and he gave you a gift with a purpose. He gave you a gift for a reason. He has a role, he has a place, and he wants you to serve in it. And let me just say this as gently as I can. If you don't use your gift, you don't hurt yourself. You hurt the entire church that God intended that gift to be used for. The gift that he gave to you to be used for. That was my gentle version. I thought the Holy Spirit series would be nice. Uh, yeah. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is a gentle breeze, a soft nudging, and sometimes it's a hurricane. I play a lot better with the hurricane. Verse 8. For to one who is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles. This is the first one that really starts to sound like, hey, we're not just talking about natural things. Miracles show up late in the list. To another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, which is the Spirit, wills. This is not by any means an exclusive or comprehensive, I should say, list of the spiritual gifts. It is meant to serve as a demonstration of the great variety of gifts the Holy Spirit gives. And what you notice when you get through the list is that most of that list is not miraculous in nature. When you meet that person that just has a, a gift of insight, like they can, just, they can guide you, they can offer you advice, they can help provide counsel and instruction that help you live and honor and follow Jesus, that's the utterance of wisdom. Those neon lights, just solid biblical counsel. When you see people who they can read the word and they can draw things out of it and they notice these things that they can apply and share and you're like, I could have read that verse every day for 20 years and I never would have noticed that. That's the utterance of knowledge. Not all the gifts are part in the Red Sea. Not all the gifts make everybody stop and go, wow, that was a huge, miraculous work of God. Most of the gifts are expressions of the grace of God working in his people to do what we are called to do. When I was in high school, I had this friend... And we'd just gone to a, a summer camp. Like our youth group goes to Somersault. It's like a giant version of that. It's 
college campus, thousands of students, big conference, all about Jesus. It's super exciting. We go, we come back. It's awesome. We're all fired up. He gets back, dumps his suitcase out, fills it with clothes that he'd left on his bed, drives to the church down the street that was going to another conference just like it, but that week after. So he basically didn't even go home to go to bed. He just turned around and went to the next camp. Because he was so on fire, so passionate about Jesus, he just couldn't get enough. And while he's at this conference, his mom, who was his closest friend in the world, had an asthma attack in her sleep and died. They get a hold of the leaders from the church that he'd gone with. They can't just drive him back because they had took a bus and they can't leave all the kids from their youth group there to bring him home, so they buy him a plane ticket. They sit him down, they tell him what happened, they say, hey, we're going to fly you home so that you can be there. And the first thing he said, when they told him that his mother had died, he's like, I guess God wants me to minister to someone on the plane. experiencing personal pain and tragedy in a storm that many of us would not handle well. He did not break. He did not fall apart. He looked to the good that God could do through it. That's the gift of faith. There are many different expressions, many different varieties of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, if when we read this, you're like, this guy's going to talk about speaking in tongues, and we're going to get into that great big controversy. I can't wait. I am so happy to disappoint you. What I'm going to do instead is just broad spectrum offend everybody all at once, all right? So, the, I, and it's not, let me be clear, I'm not going to get into this because the issue of speaking in tongues and how we understand it isn't important. It is because the controversy with which we approach this issue is sinful. Okay, so what you have on this particular gift, what compromises the whole discussion of spiritual gifts is really emphasized and made problematic by this one gift. And on one side, you have a group called the cessationists. And the cessationists say, hey, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for the apostolic age. They were to get us to the point where we had the completion of the Bible. Once we have the completion of the Bible, we no longer need the Holy Spirit's active work. He doesn't need to do anything anymore because the perfect has come. So all the gifts are done. And for the last 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit's been taking a power nap just waiting for stuff to happen. Like, look, if that's your view, I want to say this. We love you. Maybe we don't totally agree with you. Uh, but if we're talking about Snow White, Seven Dwarfs, you're grumpy. Um, <laughs> then you go to the other side, which I very affectionately call the charismaniacs. Uh, I, I do that because my parents are in this camp, and I like to tease them because they are responsible for this. They go to the other extreme, like you can't even be saved if you don't speak in tongues. And they're not just regular tongues, but like angelic tongues. And you got to practice this. And we have like seizures in the spirit on the ground. And we do weird dance parties. We wave flags around and it's super exciting. And if you don't do that, you're not really a good Christian. And like, if that's where you are, man, like what I just said, we, we love you. We're glad you're here. Don't totally agree with you. But if you were one of the seven doors, you'd be dopey. And now everyone is unified in their offense. That's perfect. That's exactly where you want to be. So if you heard that, some part is like, ooh, I'm offended by that. How do you think the Holy Spirit feels? Who we looked at last week, his 
primary core value, one of his main functions is to create unity in the church, to bring the people of God from different backgrounds, different places, different experiences together in unity under the banner of Jesus. And then we take one of the gifts that he gives to create unity and we turn it into a source of disunity? Oh man, I care a lot less about you being offended than I do about how offensive that is to him. And look, I want you to understand, I ain't trying to offend you. I want you to understand the seriousness of this thing. The Spirit of God gives us gifts. And we have the audacity to divide, disunify, and degrade other believers because their understanding and interpretation of how that gift should be used is different? I can't think of a more grievous way to offend the Holy Spirit than to take a gift that he made for unity and to use it to do the opposite of the reason for which it was given. To undermine the entirety of his work throughout the book of Acts because of our own pride and our perspective on one issue that doesn't even really matter for salvation. You see what I'm saying? Who do we think we are? Viewing some as lesser because they don't have a gift. Viewing some as dumber because they, use, they leave the gift differently than we do. Listen, that's not okay. The Holy Spirit works to create unity. So if you're on this side, man, love you. So glad you're here. Please be respectful of the fact that not everybody sees it the way you do. Not everybody understands it the way that you do. And if your use, understanding, or operation with this gift causes problems, disunity, division, or struggles in the church, you are not honoring the Holy Spirit with how you're using it. And if you're on this side, I don't know why I'm acting like this side of the room cessationist and this side's all the charismatics, but just, you know, that's where we are, I guess. I mean, if you're on that side of just, I don't buy any of it, that's fine. But be respectful of the fact that not everybody holds your position. And that you don't need to be militant about it. We don't need to draw hard lines where Scripture doesn't draw hard lines. A little respect, a little understanding goes a long way. Because one thing that we do know about the Holy Spirit is that he works for unity. We may not all understand his gifts, but we do not get to divide over them. That is sinful. So there's the conflict and the controversy of the Holy Spirit, of uh, the speaking in tongues. <laughs> there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And when we look at the variety of gifts, they can essentially be understood in one of three primary categories. The first category is prophetic, not that kind of prophetic. Okay? It's not like the Bible's version of Miss Cleo. Uh, most biblical prophecy is not future predictive. There is some future predictive prophecy in the Bible. It does happen. It's not never, but that's the exception, not the rule. Biblically, a prophet is a person who speaks the word of God to the people of God. They're providing instructions and understanding to what God says for his people. Every church that is faithful to God's word has prophecy occur on a regular basis, sometimes in groups, sometimes on stages. But where the word of God is taught... That's prophecy. And the prophetic gift is by nature and emphasis a gift of communication. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, discernment. 
The trouble is we have a tendency to elevate that gift above the others. As a person that stands in one of those places, I'm telling you, it's not more important. It's more noticeable when it's absent, but it is not more important than any other spiritual gift. The second grouping are priestly gifts. These are practical gifts that are done to meet the needs and care for the community of believers on an individual basis. Healing, help, support, encouragement, exhortation. It's a shepherding gift. It's a gift that comes alongside people and nurtures them and helps them grow. And the, the healing component is not all like miraculous, like, hey, you had, your legs were gone and I just waved my hand and then your legs grew back. Like, it's not all big flashy things. Most healing is mental, spiritual, emotional. The work of a counselor and helping people th process through their pain and trauma to heal and to grow, that is a priestly gift. And the third classification is kingly gifts. Kingly gifts are your leadership-oriented gifts. It's your vision, your, your leadership, your administration, and your execution. They're gifts that affect the community as a whole, but are oftentimes expressed from behind the scenes. So if you think of it like this, imagine being on a cruise ship, right? Your cruise director... That's your prophetic gift. That's the person you're hearing from. That's the person that's talking. That's the person that's sharing with you everything that you need to know so that you are informed appropriately about whatever's going on with the ship. Prophetic is cruise director. Your priestly gift is your room steward. That's the person that cleans your room, takes care of everything, serves you, makes sure you've got everything that you need and you're enjoying your time on the boat. And the kingly gift is the captain of the ship. You've been on a cruise ship, you've almost never seen the captain. He's not just out and about, bouncing around. He's in the room guiding the ship. And his role is to make sure that the ship gets to where it's going on time and that they take a route that's as pleasant as possible for everyone on board. All three roles are important. All three roles play a different part in the good of the ship. So... Maybe you sit here and you ask, how do I know what my gift is? Two questions. What are you good at? A lot of times God reveals to us what he's calling and using us to do by giving us abilities to do things that help others. And what do you get excited about? What brings you joy? What stirs that fire in you that just excites you and gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you passionate about? Sometimes that can be as general as, I just want to know that what I'm doing helps. I just want to know that I'm serving, that I'm making a difference, that I'm benefiting someone. You want me to take out trash? I'll take out trash. You want me to help people park? I can point to a parking space and go like this. I've got that skill. I can do it. Sometimes it's general. And sometimes it's super specific. Like, I want to work with special needs kids from ages three to five. But whatever your gift is, you've been called and commissioned by God to use it. Not for yourself, but for his people. God gave you a gift for, your, for the purpose of you using that gift. And I tell you, one of the greatest ways to understand the unity the Holy Spirit works towards is by seeing the gifts of the Spirit. These are not separate things. They are linked. The Holy Spirit helps us understand and value unity working together in diversity through 
the giving of different gifts to different people according to the same spirit for the glory of the same God. Because this is a body. The church is the body of Jesus. You know what's fun about your body? There's a lot of different parts that have a lot of different functions. The hand may be one of the most useful parts of your body, but it has no vision. The eyes help a whole lot for navigating through things, but they have no grasp. Every part of the body has a role to play. Like, well, I'm not a hand and I'm not eyes, so obviously I'm not that useful. <laughs> Maybe you're the elbow. You know? Because that doesn't seem like a very important gift. <laughs> it doesn't work. Think about this. You ever had an injury? Ever hurt a part of your body and all of a sudden you're keenly aware of how much you use that part of a body in a way that you took for granted before? Remember, I busted up my shoulder one time and I'm like, I didn't realize how much I do with my shoulder. Like, I sleep with my shoulder. I get up with my shoulder. I sit with my shoulder. My shoulder is somehow involved in my walking process, which made no sense to me. And I only knew that because every time I moved in any way, it hurt. When you don't use your gift, you're the part of the body that hurts. You may not think your role is important, but the rest of the body that hurts because you're not using it does. The rest of the people have to struggle and adapt and find ways to overcome part of the body not doing what that part of the body was made to do. They know, they feel it, they value it. That's why this analogy that Paul gives us in the Word is so brilliant. You may not be the most talked about part of the body, the most thought about part of the body, but every part of the body plays an important role in the health of the body. Because the body is an incredibly diverse combination of parts that work together in harmony despite their different functions, despite their different roles, despite their differences for the good of the whole body. God gave you gifts so that you could use those gifts. You see, God gave us Jesus. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. At every level of our interaction with God, we see that he is giving. And then he calls us to do the same. You have a gift. What are you doing with it? How are you using the gift that God has given you for the good of his people? How is the church better? Because you're a part of it. There are needs, there are opportunities, there are things that we can all do, great or small, visible or not, it all matters. And for a church body to continue to be able to minister to the needs of their community, we have to be working together in unity, which means we need you. as we transition to a time where we take communion. If you are a believer, you surrendered your life to Jesus on the way in, you probably got one of these. If you did not get one of these, you can just raise your hand up in the air and some of our ushers will come down and they will hand it to you. This is the foundational gift. 
This is the formational gift. This is the first present that the Holy Spirit brings when he comes into our lives. It is the gift of life through the death of Jesus. Our hope, our joy, our eternity is built on this. The bread, the body that was broken, is the sacrifice that he made so that we could have the life that he gives. Jesus' gift to us came at the cost of personal sacrifice. What drives us, what empowers us, what equips us is the gift that he gave through his sacrifice for us. Let's take it together. The blood. The blood of God that was shed for us changes everything. This is the life you're baptized into. This is the life you surrendered yourself to, to the God King who bled for you, who didn't just save you from your sin, but saved you for his purpose, that you might live for him, be a vessel and a tool to glorify the one who gave his life for you. Let's take the juice together. So I'm going to give you a challenge and then I'm going to pray. My goal in this, guys, is, is never guilt. It's never shame. That's the wrong reason to be driven to service. It's a commission. It is my love for the body of Christ that makes me want to call you into the act of obedience to let go of your doubts, to let go of your shames, to let go of your guilt, and to take hold of the mission that Jesus has for you because you were made, saved, and brought into the family of God for a purpose. I want to see you experience the joy of that purpose. So my challenge to you is this. Spend some time with the Holy Spirit, seeking what you can do, what he's leading and driving you to do, and find a place to plug in and to use your gift for the good of others. That you might be blessed and be a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that nothing in our lives that we could give, nothing in our lives we could do would ever even come close to what you have done for us. God, I pray that you would stir in us a passion, an insatiable hunger to be a part of what you're doing, that we would not be spectators of your work, but that we would be participators in your mission, that our lives would be lived not sitting on the sideline and watching, but seeking to glorify and honor you, that we would be pleasing in your sight. Equip us, empower us, and enable us to do what you saved us to do. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen.